So we made it, right? We made it home, and um, I, I literally um, showed up to my 20-year class reunion. I know I Twittered it, but it really is true. I get in the car, I go home, and I go get home. And, I'm, and by the way, I'm home in my bathroom that I grew up in um, that still has the medicine cabinet with the, the doors that open, right? You know, like, so there's three of them. There's one in the middle. And, and the reason that is important is that in the 80s with the mullet, it was very important to get the back looking right, you know? And having the two doors that flew open like this on the sides, I could get some excellent view of the mullet, right? And the, the, my white cloud, whatever cheapo, suave, you know, stuff that I had to use. I couldn't afford anything really. White rain or whatever it was. And, uh, but I go home and I'm glancing in my mirror and I've, I've realized I do not look anything like I looked when I was 17, except for the fact that I have a giant zit on the end of my nose. <laughs> my 20-year class reunion, I'm schlepping around, trying to look cool, and I got a zit on the end of my nose that literally um, was fascinating for a guy my age. So God had a sense of humor <clears throat> about that. But we made it back. Shannon uh, is... Uh, we're, I've, I've basically questioned her commitment to conduit tonight, even you know, <laughs> being home like this. Now she did; she will be back next week. So we let her, we got back at six, and then uh, Aunt Mary gets here tomorrow. So yeah, I wonder what that would look like. Let's pray about that. Let's do like one of those Matthew eighteen like confrontations. Like we have a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> so you've yeah. next week. We the all whole body of believers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Shannon, we need to have a talk. <laughs> oh, Lord, no. She hit me in the arm yesterday so hard. It hurts. And I was... <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> and like, in fairness, I deserved it. I don't even what I did. I was, I'm always doing whatever, so I'm going to screw with her, and it was just the wrong time. So, um, so Exodus 20, 15. If you are joining us, visiting tonight or online, and thank you for all of you online who are not using uh, lots of uh, creative profanity tonight. Um... We just decided to camp out on the commandments because there's 10 of them. And, you know, I think to a man, every one of us would have to admit that, you know, you couldn't name them, right? 10 in a row. So we thought, let's see what they, what God has to say. If God took his time to write these himself, maybe he meant something by it, right? And so, and tonight was a good one. You shouldn't murder. Don't kill is what the uh, King James says. Yeah. And it doesn't even, like, there's no commentary needed on it. Just don't kill. And, and in the NIV, obviously it says murder, and um, King James says kill. And, and we really could probably go home with that and say, that's, uh, that's good. I'll, I'll note, note to self. And I'm good on that one, you know? And I found it ironic that we were here the same week that, you know, a beloved person in our community is is murdered, is killed. Um, found it fascinating that we happen to be here on this this moment, and I'm not suggesting that that's why that happened or whatever, but just very appropriate time for us to be on a, a don't murder. And, and, and if you know me, been around me, of course, I'm immediately starting to think about the things about I wonder what, what does that mean if you're so if you're in the military, what does that mean? And how does you know and, and those weird philosophical questions you can get yourself into is capital punishment, you know, if you're an executioner, does it count or you know 
or, or the Amish right, you know, to not want to be in war because they're not supposed to, you know, battle. Or, um, and, and I think that we could probably land there because maybe you have some thoughts in those areas. It might be fun. But as I really prayed about it and thought about it today, as I, you know, basically this is my view, right, the whole time. Um, actually, it's more like this, like this, and foot up in the air, you know, while I'm driving. But, but I have a lot of time to think. And when you look at a verse like, don't kill, and that's kind of it, maybe it would be good to see what Jesus had to say about it, right? And, and as you might guess, he had a lot to say about it. And he said in Matthew 5, 17, if you've got your Bibles, you go there tonight with me. And I'm going to read it in the King James just for fun. You haven't got enough of these thousand verilies in your life. You're about to get plenty. Think not that I have come, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And he did. He did a great job of it. This is the guy that came to earth and didn't sin. Whether it was adultery or false witness or murder, he didn't do any of this. He was it. This is the gold standard of it. So I've come to fulfill them. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And whosoever shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men, so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And you're thinking, hey, Darren, I think I just figured out your motivation for teaching the Ten Commandments. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said of them in the old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, and who hasn't wanted to say that? You know what I mean? <laughs> Someone cut you off in traffic. You know, Raka, you, man. But, um, shall be in danger of the council. You'll, you'll see in a minute, this is actually a little more appropriate than you think. Whoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring the gift, thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thou, brother, hast aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time thy adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and you be cast into prison. For verily I say unto you, to thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. And I think I can join all of us in collectively saying, what? <laughs> What I love about the word is that if the way that we study it, the way that we go to it, is that you have to, if you go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you encounter pretty much everything at some time or another. Because my tendency is to skip over stuff like that. I don't know what a farthing is, so I do what I call bookshelf theology. I put it back on the shelf, and I'll get back to it someday, right? Right next to all those other things that I have had up there. And as I really chewed on that today, I began to realize that this... Thou shalt not kill is way more appropriate for us than we even know. And if you've never killed anybody in this room, and I think I speak with confidence and emotion because you probably haven't, um, good work. Congratulations. Um, 
And Jesus said this, that if you think that that's good, he was saying this to his disciples, looking at the Pharisees and the scribes, which were the gold standard of that day, saying, but unless your righteousness goes beyond what they're doing. In other words, saying what they do, which is amazing, like they're counting out their salt granules before they tithe, okay, to make sure they got it right, that that's not even good enough. What they're doing with their law, with their deal, is not good enough. And so if you're not better than what they're doing, you're monumentally screwed for eternity. And if you're a disciple, you're like, well, crap. Now what do I do? You know, if, if, if these guys, if the Billy Graham-esque kind of guys of the day weren't good enough, then what hope do I have? And that's how he opens up. And then he goes into this radical teaching. He says, look, the least of these commandments, and it's interesting that he goes from least of these and then uses murder as the leadoff with that, which is fascinating to me. But he says, if you go there, he says, and this is, I mean, this was a radical thing to say. I, they said in the times of old, don't murder. I'm going to tell you this. If you even get angry at your brother, and there's two words in the, in the New Testament that are used for anger. One is thumos, which is this, you know, the hothead one, right? If you've been around somebody, or maybe you've had that moment where you're angry and you can feel your blood boil and you're a little warm, you know, that kind of mad. That thumos, like where we get the word thermos from. But this is a word that I can't pronounce very well called orgizidai, Anybody on there? Um, but it's it's a smoldering. We were making s'mores last night at the at the uh, at the at the, uh, at, the, uh, at, the <laughs> at the house. It was actually like seventy degrees in Oklahoma. It was weird, and so my kids are out there had you know wanting s'mores and so we're, yeah we'll, we'll make them. But the, the fire smoldered for a while. It just went on and on. When you, if you see that the fire on line that um, that we witnessed when we had the little redneck party and watched it happen and burn the house down, for like the next day, the whole day it just smoldered, like there was. Just, and that's that kind of an anger. And what it is, the anger of the one that you just hold on to in your heart. That one where you're just pissed. And you're holding on to it deep. And you're not maybe even saying anything about it to the person, but you're just thinking. It, you know what? It's crockpot mad. Okay, It's not like, it's not grill mad. It's uh, it's slow roast mad. It's like you set it on and you just go, you go to church and you come home and the, and it's, the roast is ready mad. Okay? That's the kind of anger. He says, if, you're, if you do that... You're guilty of murder. And I think I can speak for all of us when I say, ah, geez, that's, that's not good, right? That's because who hasn't had that, right? And he goes on, if you, and if, if you don't have to go there, but Matthew 18-ish, probably, I think it's Matthew 18, somewhere around 22, where there's the parable of the steward. Well, you know what, dude, go there with me, never mind. Sorry, I, I want to I hear a lot from you tonight, so I'm not... Uh, basically, what I'm doing right now is I'm about to preach to myself, and then you guys can have the rest for yourselves. But there's the parable of the unmerciful servant. And you know what? I will. I'll just I'll just give it the overarching view, and you can go back there later and, and dive in if you want to. But it was the parable of the servant who owed his master ten million dollars by our standards today. Okay, like Donald Trump kind of money, like big time money. Owed him a lot. And the master comes, and you, you remember the story. He, he says, okay, I, I absolve you of the debt. I forgive you of the debt. And so the slave goes out. He's free. He's excited. And the first thing he does is he calls a guy who owes him two grand and says, I want my money. I, I want it. You know, and, and, and this idea unfolds for us that, of course, the master is angry about it. And we think that's insane. Why would this guy, who just got absolved of $10 million, call the guy that owes him two grand? have him thrown in jail because he didn't pay him back. 
It's insane. It's insanity. And what Jesus is doing when he's setting up the picture is, is further to what we're doing. He's saying in Matthew 5, but he's saying this, and that is that you've been forgiven of so much, this infinite debt. And we have this thing that I think is fasting. It's, it's called spiritual Alzheimer's, which is that we just tend to forget all the creepy and crummy stuff that we do in our lives, right? And we forget about it, and we walk out, and the person that owes us, and, and it might seem like, it's, you know, two grand is a lot of money at the end of the day. That's a legitimate debt. The guy had a legitimate reason to be angry about it that somebody owed him two grand, except for owe the part about that he just got absolved of $10 million. And so Jesus sets this up as a way, as a picture for us. Say, that's, that's the picture for me. It's the picture for you. that We've been forgiven of that much. And he goes on, by the way, to say to Peter, I think that's the passage where he says to Peter, you know, how many, Peter says, how many times you know, will you forgive somebody? And Peter says seven, right? Is seven good enough? And what's interesting, by the way, is that the rabbi, the rabbis at that time would have taught Amos 1.3, which is that there's this, um, that the nations, I think it's Damascus, and you go there later, you'll see what it's talking about. But he says, so it's Amos 1.3, that for three times I've forgiven you and four times this. And basically the rabbis were teaching about this, that if you, you can be forgiven three times, but on the fourth time, if you're a nation or if you're personal, so forgive it three times, but for the fourth sin. And, that, and basically, God goes down and just lists off all these nations that are being hosed for their fourth sin. And so the rabbis would say, three times is enough, and on the fourth time, let them have it. So Peter is being magnanimous here. He's saying, I'm being generous. I'll double it and, get, and add one for, you know, seven times. How about that, Jesus? And Jesus is, how about 70 times seven? How about you forgive him so many times that you lose count? You know, I'm not, it's, it's not Jesus saying, you know, like you're in prison where you're keeping a little, you know, tally of how many days you've been in there, how many forgivenesses. Just, you're going to lose count of it. It's so beyond the three times that the rabbi had taught for those guys that, that it was ridiculous. And he's saying, that's the kind of thing that I'm saying to you. And so when you go back to what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5, he says in verse 22, whoever says raka. So in other words, he's saying, if you're angry at your brother, Okay, you're guilty of murder. He says, and furthermore, if you say rachla, okay, which is basically idiot, moron, okay. If you've ever been in a stoplight with my grandfather when he used to drive, it was like all the idiots came out because he was calling everybody an idiot. Everybody's an idiot. No matter who he's pulling out in front of, they're the idiot, okay. That's what, it, and it's, and think about it. How many times have you done that? How many times in my life have somebody done something that I find to be, by the way, legitimately stupid, and I say something, man, what an idiot, what a moron. You keep believing these guys. And here's why that's a problem if you're Jesus. Because he looks at that person and he says, I don't see him that way. I see him as this amazing future, as this person that I died for, as this person that has all this promise. He sees them in the same way that you want him to see you. I want him to see me in that way. And that's how he sees those people. And when he says, whoever says Raka in verse 22 is in danger of going before the council, which I just basically means you need counseling. You know, if you think that guy's an idiot, you need counseling. You need Dr. Phil to come and have one of those, how's that working out for you, conversations with you. You're an idiot. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. Um, in danger of the council. It, it's us calling an idiot who God says, that's my kid. And when I got my two kids in the car, and they're calling each other names or fighting each other. I don't take any pleasure in that when they're fighting each other. I honestly think that's why God loves the prayer of agreement so much. Because if I can get my kids to agree on anything, I'm there. I want to go to the pool at the same time. Daddy's there. It's when I got one of them wanting to do this and the other wanting to do that. It's like, you know, this 
strife that unfolds and they start, you know, that's what, these are my kids. Don't, don't do that to each other. And he goes on to say, whoever says fool, calls them a fool. And I think that the picture there, what is it that the psalmist says that a fool says in his heart that there is no God? So when I'm calling somebody a fool, it's not the name, the word F-O-O-L, fool. It's this idea and this concept that that person is beyond help. That that person is despicable. And we don't necessarily maybe do that to each other we, as much as maybe we do it to a certain group of people. Maybe we see the gay pride parade and we say, that is just despicable. Those guys are just beyond help. And God would say to me and to you, to them, Nobody's beyond help. Because I'm basically saying, I'm making a judgment call that God can't fix that one. That that's despicable, that that's horrible. That, and in, in essence, what I'm saying is go to hell. You, you fool. You're despicable. When I look, and whether it's someone that's hurt me personally, whether it's someone who's a group of per- people that have offended me. And, and look, the thing is, is that there are those of us that things have been done to us and against us that are pretty bad. And the fact of the matter is, what Jesus is saying, whether it's in Matthew 18 or whether it's here, is that it doesn't rise. If you were to put your entire collective life on a video screen, okay, and please, God, never do that to me. You begin to remember all those lies that you've told, that I've told, all of those deceitful things I've done, those hurtful things, those girls in Bible college, those things that I did that were terrible things together. And I, no matter what anybody has done to me, when I put my entire life together on one screen, it does not rise to the occasion of that, of one thing that's been done against me. And it's me just basically having a moment of faith saying, I'm not going to let that rise to that occasion. I mean, Jesus is saying, this is what it means. You're talking about murdering physically, and I'm saying there's something inward that's much deeper, much more perverse, much worse. That where it's, it's where it starts from. He goes on to say that, this is the part that I really don't want to talk about and I thought about skipping mostly because of what it's going to mean for me this week but he goes on to talk about um, is anybody else getting annoyed by that he goes on to talk about going and reconciling with your brother and what I find interesting is that he doesn't say go that person you've got a problem with. He says the person that has a problem with you. Go to them. And I might say, uh, that's not my problem. By the very virtue of this statement, they have a problem with me. I don't have a problem with them. And I think about that and I think, yeah, the last, like the first person in, on record to say that's not my problem said what? That's, he's like, my, my brother's keeper? That's not my problem. Which was the first murderer, which was Cain. And he says, that's not my problem. And I would say, it's not my problem. Jesus says, go to them. And not to go out and to assassinate their character, okay, which is exactly what I verbally, like what somebody thinks of me in this town isn't what I want them to think, isn't what I say about myself. It's what you say, what others say about me. In the same with you, what people think of you is what people say about you. Think about it for a moment. When you run across somebody, whether it's a colleague of mine in the music business where I've, I've said things about them, Things have been said to me about somebody. And when I see that person the next time, what happens is they're taken down a couple levels because I think of what that person has, what's been said to me about it, what I've said about it. 
And here's the kicker. I know that that happens in my world. Because every decision I make as an artist manager, it makes somebody really happy and somebody really mad. That's pretty much it. And I want you to know that I have done some things really well in my job, and I've done some things really stupid. And there are people out there that probably have some things to say about me that are great, and there are people that have some things to say that are pretty bad. And here's the kicker. Most of it's true. Either way, right? Because it's all out there. That's all of us. But here's the bigger kicker. If someone has a problem with me, Jesus is saying, go to them and be, and this is the part that ticks me off, be reconciled. He doesn't say, give it a shot, okay? And probably because he knows my nature. He knows Darren would say, yeah, but Jesus, I texted him and he didn't text me back, so I'm off the hook, you know? I sent an email to him. He didn't, I called him and he didn't call me back. I'm off the hook. Jesus doesn't give me that option. He says, be reconciled with this person. And that irritates me <laughs> because, because it's no fun. And, he, and, the, and what's no fun about it is the way he says to do it is to be reconciled. Settle, he says this, settle matters quickly in the NIV version, but to be quick, what does the, uh, the King James one say? I'm sorry, I should have had it in front of me. Um, agree with thine adversary quickly, which is me basically saying to my adversary, you know what, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And you'd be saying, but Darren, what if he's, what if it isn't even true? What if what he's saying isn't right? The psalmist said that God is my defender. And the fact of the matter is if I go and I sit down in front of somebody who's, who's got a beef with me and I say, look, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Then what's happening, and, and you may not agree with this, but just pray about it. This is pretty shocking stuff, what, what Jesus is seemed to be saying here. When I say that to him, it A, it diffuses the whole thing. And the fact of the matter is, what if he's wrong, okay? I don't know if you ever had this happen when you were a kid, you get a spanking for something you didn't do. And your dad says, yeah, but that makes up for everything else that I didn't catch yet, right? Because the fact of the matter is, is whatever someone is saying about me, maybe it isn't true. The fact is, is there's a whole lot worse things they could say that are true. There's worser things. There's badder things that they could say that would, in fact, be true if they only knew them. And so if I, if I go to this person, to these people, to somebody, you go to somebody and say, look, go, I go quickly and I settle this. And it says, leave your gift at the altar. You know, if you're going, if, so if, you, if you, you're, whatever, you're a guitar player, you're a, you're a giver, you're a mercy guy, or whatever your gift is that you're serving the body with, leave it behind and go and settle this thing quickly by agreeing with them, by saying, look, I'm sorry. I, 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 this, you know, I, I've come to settle this matter with you. And, and, and I've done it before in real life without really knowing that Jesus had commanded it. But there's been some situations where I sat down and I said, last year there was a, there was a colleague in town that had said some pretty awful things about me, okay? And in fairness, I'd said some pretty awful things too. It was one of those awful, awful, well, he said this, well, I'll say that, you know. And I went and I sat down, I had a, you know, we broke bread, and so we broke salad. But, and you know, I walked away thinking, but they didn't apologize back. Wait a minute, I got a hose in this situation. But it diffused it and it was me being able to say, I settled this matter, because this is my brother, this is my sister in Christ, this is my family. And whether you know, my right to be right in that situation is superseded by the fact that the guy, Jesus, the gold standard for this, if you want to talk about somebody who took blame for something he didn't do, it's Jesus. And so for me to sit down across the table and say, you know, I'm, I'm, look, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Is it really that big of a deal? Is it really asking that much of me, of my pride, to crucify it, to say that I can settle this matter quickly? 
And the reason is, is this is, and again, Jesus is talking in metaphors, right? But he's saying, because what's going to happen is that you're going to be taken in front of the judge into court, right? And where's that court take place? In my mind, okay? And when I try this thing in my mind, who wins every time? Me, okay? The glove didn't fit. <laughs> you must have quit. Anybody old enough to remember that? Anyway, um, I know we've got new trials since then, but that's still the classic. It's me saying that I'm trying this thing in my brain, okay? And I win every time because that's where court happens. And Jesus says, and even if you win, the fact is you're still getting locked up in prison. And the prison is what? Your world is closing in. Your life, whether it's your family's falling apart, the relationship is broken, the thing it's that you're being, it's closing in on you. This prison of this thing, this smoldering anger is closing in on you. And so when I decide that I'm not going to do that when I decide I'm going to go the other way, the thing that I've done so many times. James says that the tongue is like a fire, which is an appropriate a metaphor. When he talks about a fire burning in you, the smoldering anger, and my tongue becomes a flamethrower at that point where I can scorch somebody's reputation. I scorch their character, and I'm talking about my brother or talking about my sister, and it ought not to be. Assassinating their character uh, I think it's Proverbs. I don't remember the exact passage in there where it talks about the death and life or in the power of the tongue. When I speak, I can, I can bring death to somebody's life or I can, or death in someone's life or I can conceive life in them by bringing positive things to it. Because the fact of the matter is, is every one of us sitting in this room, we're all a dichotomy. And not a single one of us wants to have our sins broadcasted. The Proverbs says also that a, you know, a brother covers a sin. Uh, d discreetly because it, you know, it doesn't want to break up a friendship is what basically the passage says. And, that's, and I'm not suggesting that we don't go to each other when there's a problem. They're, they're obviously biblical. We could talk about that in Matthew 18. But what I'm saying is that there's specific moments, you know what they are, where someone has wronged you, okay? And maybe, and I want you to know that there is legitimate wrong things, like whether it's sexual abuse or physical or emotional, whatever. The, those are terrible, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to belittle that at all. But what I'm saying is that faith would say, when I forgive, when I give it back to the Lord, I'm trusting that he's going to work it out. Abraham asked a rhetorical question. He said, shall not the God of all the universe do what is right? The answer is yes. And me saying, I'm going to give it back to him instead of letting that thing burn me down. You're in danger of hellfire. I don't believe it means you're in danger of going to hell. I believe it means that the fires of hell, that metaphor he's using there, burning inside of me, and I'm spreading that fire around, torching someone else's reputation, burning myself up at the same time, where all I have to do is just let it go to the Lord and give it back to him. So that's uh, the scenic route of Exodus 20, 13, in my mind. Um, it's what the Lord dealt with me today as I drove uh, in between backyardigans and Diego and, and potty breaks. Um, and so do with that what you feel led. But I mean, does anybody want, do you guys, A, do you have any comments on that? Or B, do you want to talk about the philosophical? Because I'm game if you want to talk about the philosophical. Because you know what? There are people out there that said, look, I, I fought in a war and I killed somebody. There are people in Afghanistan right now killing people who might say, does that count? It says, it says, don't kill. I know NIV says murder, but the King James Version says, thou shalt not kill. Don't kill. Does it count? I mean, I, and we don't have to go there if you don't want to. Uh, but D pros? God 
There is a group of people, okay, and I'll, I'll name names, Tony Campolo being one of them, okay, who would say we have to go by the letters in red, right? And he would say that Jesus, whatever Jesus said, whatever Jesus did in the New Testament is all that we can go by, okay? And these are folks, and I know this because they make comments on my blogs, um, would say that that means killing for no reason whatsoever in any circumstance whatsoever is justified because Jesus said, don't kill. Anybody want to tackle that? Because I will, but I mean, as you might guess, I have opinions. Wait, I have thoughts first. Jay. Um, the Hebrew word, as far as I understand, the imagery for the word for murder is uh, it's pretty brutal, but it's, it's to stab and to pull apart. Like, like you've ever seen um, corned beef, how uh, it kind of pulls apart and sounds stringy. So, I can have a point. Can you draw it? <laughs> you want a flannel graph? So, so the imagery that they're using is this to, to be destructive and to pull apart. And I would imagine that, we've talked about this before, that there's, there's things that you're not supposed to do, there's everything you're not supposed to do, there are things that you are supposed to do, right? The opposite of murder is to bring life into a situation. That's what the gospel is. That's what Jesus was about. It's about the opposite of pulling something and tearing something apart or, or being destructive. I mean, all murderous things um, destroy some part of the body. So then the opposite of that would be to bring restoration to some part of the body. Jesus says in John, greater love has no man than this, and man lays down his life for a brother. Right? And we were talking about how Jesus would probably use pretty much everybody as a brother. I mean, brother um, or at least hmm. a friend. So, but the word to lay down the life, the meaning there is not necessarily to just give up your life breath, but to actually lay down the way that you live for others. To bring restoration, to breathe life into them. So I think that Yes, the commandment is don't murder. But while we're not murdering, and it comes right back into restoration, our mission, our call is to lay down the lives of those who we call brothers, those who are suffering from Jesus, and to restore, to bring restoration, to bring healing into those situations. Quite the audience out here tonight. So you have to, everybody has to talk louder now. Right? Okay. Sorry. Bring life. Computer man. I would suggest that anybody who says that we should just pay attention to whatever Jesus said is missing a whole lot of the Bible. And obviously, the, yeah. the New Testament church was founded on, obviously, Jesus, but the rest of Scripture. And we, have, as a New Testament church, haven't gotten right. rid of the Old Testament. So, I think that's that part's a moot point. I, I think, I mean, right after Moses wrote the five books, the very next book of the Bible is Joshua, conquest and pull of the Lord's commandment. And so I think war can be biblical, can be mandated by God. I'm not saying that every war that we've ever been in is mandated by God. I'm not saying that every war in the United States is mandated by God. 
believe there are times that God has cued war to further his kingdom. And I believe that is entirely biblical. God using it himself is calling for the king's things. God uses a lot of things and he doesn't necessarily know what just question. So you were talking about okay. yeah. restoration. I'm being asked to speak louder. Okay. You. Me, specifically. Yeah, well, because I can't hear you. Uh, all, the, all the lazy uh, people that wouldn't drive into town <laughs> to see me. Here's the thing. There, when you look at Jesus, and again, Jesus' words, okay? Matthew 24 or 25, one of the two says, there will be wars and rumors of wars. He talks about it. He actually hired a guy, Lucius' definition of the word, one of his disciples was a guy named Simon the Zealot, who was a guy whose job was to try to overthrow the Roman government. Now, he didn't overthrow the Roman government, and when Peter chopped off the guy's ear, he, of course, apologized, stuck it back on, and it's not time yet. But when you look at the Old Testament specifically, it isn't like, and I want to make sure to be clear about this, because the reason, by the way, I think Tony Campolo has done some amazing things and continues to do amazing things, okay? Just like all of us, he's got some great things and some dumb things, okay? That's me. You, I've just described me. When the new, the, what's important to me to get across that my belief that I believe that the Bible is very specific about is that when Jesus came, it wasn't like he, a new, it's not like tag team wrestling where a new God tagged in, okay? And the old one sat on the bench now. We got replaced with a new one. The, the Lord is, sorry, is the Lord, okay? The angel of the Lord, you know, there was a sword. In fact, there's a, uh, I can't remember the passage, but it talked about the, when the Lord fought for Joshua, or fought for Israel. I mean, th there is biblical evidence of that. There's evidence of God saying to Israel, you know what? You got to take them all out. This is, and, and you think that's that's cruel and it's 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 crazy, except that for instance the Canaanites. He said you've got to wipe them all off the face of the earth. The entire culture was so wicked, was so perverse that had it have been allowed to go on, 
okay? And, and this is a crass metaphor, but it's the best I got, and, you know, you're getting what you pay for, right? But if I had a cancerous disease on my arm or a certain limb or whatever, you know, it, it's not cruel to cut it off. It's merciful to cut it off because it saves the rest of the body. And so that's, when I look at the Old Testament, I believe that's what God was doing over and over again, okay? Was to say this people group. And you know what? The fact is, is I look at it and initially it kind of like, it makes me uncomfortable because war is not pleasant. What's going on in Afghanistan right now is not pleasant in Pakistan and wherever. It's not great. And someday when Jesus returns, and it actually says he's going to, we're going to beat our swords into plowshares. I mean, it's the metaphor of it. But there'll be no more war when Jesus returns. But until that moment, there will be wars. There will be rumors of wars. And there are times when God uses war to accomplish purposes. And I know that that's uncomfortable, but it's the word. And what you have to do at that point, if you, and this is just for you personally, if you look at it and think, I don't, I don't feel right to me. When it's in the word, you have to say, okay, it's there. Now, what is it? A, what does it mean? And B, what do I, what do, I do about it? Is it accurate? Is it there? And when I don't understand it, I have to say to God, how is it possible that it's fair, that it's just, that it's whatever, that this entire group of people, whether it was the Edomites, the halfway in betweenites, whatever they were. And the, and the fact is, is that my faith has to say at that point, but you know what? God, he is good. He is just. He is kind. And so that will reconcile. And Corinthians says that right now I see through a mirror dimly, like, like when I'm getting out of the shower in the morning and I can't quite see myself, which is probably not a bad thing. And, but someday I'll see clearly. I'll get it clearly. So those are the moments where I say, I don't understand. And, if, and if, especially if you struggle with it, like I do, I struggle with it. I have to say to God, but someday I'll understand it perfectly. And faith, I've said it here before, is the gap. that bridges the gap between my understanding and God's reality. I don't get it, but faith is what will bridge that gap. Because I say, okay, but I trust you, God. I trust that you are good, that you are right. I don't want to be cheesy, but we use the term cross-examine. And I take it to the cross and say, if that's the God that I serve, that he is that good and he is that pure and he is that loving... <clears throat> that everything else will make sense. If not today, it will someday, and I can take it to the cross and trust that it is okay, that it is good. Because if I don't, I could actually go, I could go crazy thinking about it. I could go to Haiti and think, seriously, God, why not now set this right? If you literally have the ability to snap your fingers and the universe has come into existence, why not set it right now? And I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is that the faith that I have is that when he does set it right, I'll be like, oh, Revelation says, I'll say, righteous and true are your judgments, God. And I'll be like, oh, that was it. I get it now. It was perfect. So, so that said, it's in, it's in the Word, and we just have to decide what to do with it. I mean, does anybody have any rebuttals or thoughts to that? I had to kill this man. Oh, was it going crazy? Just killing people. Oh, the niggity cam. I thought, I think it's interesting. it. <laughs> How'd they find us? Yeah. Larry King live seven. Oh, Interesting that God is giving us commandments for murder. Like, Moses is sitting up there. That's a really good point. He's sitting up there. Going, wait just a minute. God is giving him. That's the cow t shirt. Oh. And and obviously there's some sort of grace built in. Not only is he up there speaking to a murderer, he's speaking this commandment to somebody who he just, in cohorts, wiped out the firstborn of an entire civilization. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. So, I, there is some, I mean, obviously, there's got to be a difference. And I, I'm not going to make any sort of theological, like, cement block on this. But, as 
it's just interesting. God speaking to somebody who has dealt with this in their life, who He has redeemed. Yeah. But He's making a point, and I think who better to give it to is that Moses can speak to the people. But I think He's also saying something to the people that there's a time. Yes, I used death as a as a means of of victory for this people. For this, yes, you ought to say that death was definitely too. God essentially murdered people or the spirit or whoever. Right. But he's also speaking this to somebody who's lived this and seen that 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 was not the way to do it, and who went by God's obedience was able to do it. Shout out to Tim from Disciple. Uh, He says I have to give him a shout out. Sorry. Uh. You know, one of the things I was thinking about with the whole discussion we were having um, is you know that's why we have to be really. This is the type of conversation and type of topic that just reminds us that we have to be really careful not to be just completely black and white mm-hmm. on pretty much yeah. you know, every issue because you know, there, there are definitely situations and the parts that when you have just one scripture that says do not murder that you don't have is like the emotional side to it, the, yeah. the actual situational side and trying to figure that out. You know, you know I've, I've heard of, you know, my dad is a counselor and he had told me before of a situation where, you know, a guy ended up killing someone who had come into his house with the intent of raping and murdering his family. Like, that's a situation that some people would say, yeah, well, he killed that he said, you know, and I'm not one to sit here and say, hey, <laughs> I personally would do the exact same, you know, I can uh-huh. straight up say that, and I feel like it would be, I don't know, if it would be glorified or what, but, you know, there's certain things that just, there's evil. Yeah. And there is a, a battle against good and evil, and if we ever just try to make that seem like it's not going to be ugly no matter what it is, you know, that's kind of that gray area. I think, I think that, that gray area even existed. Like, some people would say that with the new covenant, it's, you know, things have changed, blah, blah, blah. But even in the Old Testament, there was that, Area, if you want to call it that, it wasn't always black and white. God himself, in the very next chapter, outlines law after law after law, where if somebody does a certain thing, they get killed. Yeah. You know? And, and their so, goat, yeah. Without <laughs> 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 the goat. Yeah. Similar situation, for example, like what Jeremy was saying, if somebody were to come and harm your family or whatever, that person would be killed. So if it was the father of that family that did the killing, wouldn't that be Yeah. Place where the church shines the best, okay, is governments right now. I mean, right now we got just whack job after whack job in charge of country after country. And the church, we do, we are at our best when we're cleaning up the mess that governments leave behind. You know, if if you are a born again believer and you're on the front lines in Afghanistan or Pakistan or wherever a stand you are. You can, with good conscience, say that I'm under the charge of my government. Go to Romans 13. You can see what Paul says. I mean, there, 
you know, there are things that you can say with good conscience, but as, as the church as a whole, okay, the corporate body of Christ, we're at our best when we're in there cleaning up the mess. When we're going in behind and saying, whether it was Kosovo 15 years ago or Pakistan today, when the church is in there being the body of Christ, loving those that are wounded, that are left homeless in Sudan or Somalia or wherever, we're, we're at our best there. You know, if you want to talk about spiritual warfare, go get those hostages and rescue them, right? Um, so, that, I mean, that's my, my two cents on that, but what else? I, I think, to go back to Matthew, when Jesus says anybody who's been angry with their brother has committed murder in their heart, that's everybody in the world. Right. So at that point, it's, it really is a matter of, it, it's easy to, like you said, to look at Exodus 20, 13 and say, I've never shot anybody, I'm cool. It doesn't apply to me. But when Jesus clarified that and said, you've been angry with me, but you've committed adultery in your heart, we've all done that. Yeah. I, I think that's really, that's, that's where grace has to come in. It, it doesn't matter yeah. the semantics. It doesn't matter whether it's justified or whether it's killing or whether it's murder or anything like that. We've, we've all done it's pretty sad, isn't it? I mean, it's like, oh, God, really? That's how hard it is. But it's like Jesus is, I say sad. It's just, if nothing else, it levels the playing field. I cannot be arrogant in my faith because I know that if I, again, if I were to, if someone were to throw up the PowerPoint presentation of my life, okay, I would stand before you and you'd say, yeah, you really are a scumbucket. And we all are. And that's the beauty of grace is that we're all, the, the, the playing field is level before the cross and it's all paid for, and I can't get prideful, as Paul says. I can't brag on my faith because I was chosen. I was You're so. Person yeah. That is fascinating. very, and I think that he, Jesus was so specific in even the people he called, you know, a zealot, who probably would have killed, I don't know, I mean, he was, that was his gig, was to go and to disrupt the government, he was like a terrorist kind of guy, you know, that was his gig, that he would have chosen for it, you know, and next week, uh, it's a very, very exciting week, it's adultery week, <laughs> um, and, and, and it's like, 
Well, I, I won't go into it until we have time tonight, but, but as you might guess, it's deeper and more painful and more revealing because Jesus, I mean, if you want a secret to how we're going to study these things, we're just going to go find what Jesus has to say about them. And he's got a lot to say. And he has plenty to say about committing adultery and uh, bad news because by Jesus standards, pretty much, if, especially if you're a guy, you're in your room, you're busted, okay, straight up. <laughs> oh, and... So, epically, right? And so, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But anything else? It's like 8.43, so I know we're getting, we need to land this thing, but any other commentary, thoughts? It's a theological stretch to think about does it count as far as murder goes. But I thought a lot about that as a church when we don't do something. When we look upon our brother in need, as John says, and we, we have means, and we don't do anything about it. It says, how can you say that you have the love of God in your heart? And I think for every child that died needlessly, does that count? And I don't know if it does or not, but it's a heavy thought. You know, if we had, if we had the ability to do something about it and we didn't, what does that say? What kind of a butthole do I got to be to not? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, that's harsh words, and I say that to me personally. I spent the first 30 years of my Christianity not doing anything, changing the channel, you know, pretending it didn't exist. And I don't intend to spend the however many years God gives me, you know, uh, left on this earth doing that. Um, so, for whatever that's worth, welcome to my weird mind. Anything else? We sent out, uh, I, don't I shouldn't be shooting numbers off because I don't remember. We, we sent out a really good sum of money in, in June. Um, child sponsorships are up to 33 or 35. 33. I know for sure 33, maybe 35. Um, just through our little group of you know kids that are being sponsored fully through our ministry. That does not include the extra money that gets sent out. Um, and it is and keeping in mind, money isn't the solution. It's just a tool. Money is my mirror, so to speak. I can look in my money and see back a reflection of who I am as far as my love for the Lord. Um, and I get that from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul, when he's taken up an offering for the poor, says... This is a test of your love for the Lord. Uh, if you are giving into this offering, and it almost sounds manipulative. You're like, man, that's like a televangelist offering, right? But, but, but then he goes on to say, and I'm not going to get any of it. And here's who's in charge of it. And we're going to give it away. And here are the people that are going to be responsible for it. And here's where it's going to go. That's the entire infrastructure and architecture of Conduit. We have, if you want to see how much money we've given away, you go to, you know, the Facebook conduit site, and we put it right on there because we got nothing to hide. Nobody gets any paychecks. We don't say that out of any sort of arrogance or pride. It's just who we are. It's just I want you to know that if you're giving into our world, it, the, the word conduit is because it's a pipe. We're going to flush it right into the system, and we've done that. So the money becomes a tool in the hands of people that are full of the spirit that are in these countries that are uh, – it's like a hatchet in their hands, so to speak. They need tools to get the job done, to break through these hard hearts and to break through – the spiritual realm, and money is just one tool. If money were the solution, I would think by now the problem would be solved in countries like Haiti when you see billions and billions of dollars you know, flushed into this place. What I've really seen down there is when governments get involved, what you see are piles and piles and piles of plastic everywhere from government sending all the aid in but not helping the folks to get established and how to, to, to you know, train themselves. There's no trash system. There's no, that's, you see what can happen when it's just money. It has to be more than that, and that's what conduit is. And we're partner with our friends at Restoration Ministries down there, uh, partner with him. You guys were here a couple weeks ago. You remember Mike Coop saw what happened. Um, 
it's great. We, every day, like right t- today in Columbia, Tennessee, people woke up. And I love that phrase, we're the lepers of, of this society because we're druggies and we're alcoholics and, and nobody wants to touch us. And they're touching them and they're bringing them back into a relationship with the Lord. And uh, anyway, so for whatever it's worth, the offering bucket is a, what is it this week? We could build one out of the Lego blocks one of these weeks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jeremy is going to take requests. It's a folk music concert. Um, if the Lord leads you, if you feel manipulated to giving, good news. You don't have to. Um, Paul says in Corinthians 9, don't, don't do it out of manipulation, but do it out of a lifestyle of giving. So um, so if the Lord leads you, you can throw it in this bucket. <laughs> like this thing. Um, Make sure you clean it out before you put it in. You can donate online. And if the Lord is leading you to sponsor a kid, it's 32 bucks a month if you pay online. And you, uh, and then you can go meet the kid. You can go with us. We go down there uh, as a as a group, uh, multiple times a year. Sometimes I, I was just down there. Um, if Michael Slaughter is not with us anymore, there's actually a pastor in Dallas. I, I wanted to actually. We'll have to have him come sometime. He found me through the pictures of Haiti from our trip. Wanted to know about our relationships in Haiti. He pastors a church in Dallas called Nations Church, where they give away fifty percent of the money that comes in. So he's now going to. This is how the Lord works going to Haiti next week, and he's going to spend four days with Pastor LaFleur. Because of Facebook, because I tagged Debbie W. Smith, okay, with Michael W. Smith, okay, because that's the only one I knew. And and a, and a person from his church finds it and sends me an email, hey, we're going to Haiti with my pastor. You need to be, meet my pastor. And then I, I call Michael Slaughter, because his name's kind of cool. And it turns out I know Michael Slaughter from like 15 years ago when I used to book jars of clay into a little Bible college in Bolivar, Missouri. He was the guy working with Zach Kelman was the weirdest thing. So we like caught up on it. He's like, yeah, I couldn't take this music business stuff. And, and uh, he's a pastor now. And yeah, he's going to spend four days in Jock Mel Haiti with Pastor LaFleur uh, investigating whether they're going to be partnering with us down there. So the, the God is building a big story with our little deal.